0: Here they come!
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 143 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Matt Hunsworth to discuss this, the ending to George Powell's War of the Worlds. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Dying times here. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hello. Right, it's War of the Worlds today, and if it's War of the Worlds, of course it's you, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> I suppose that's true, yes. <laughs> yes, I can't think of anybody else. I mean, you. we've been to the George Powell War of the Worlds film twice now. Um, any listener that's out there that hasn't listened to them, we've already discussed the, um, the opening of the cylinder, and we've discussed the house scene, haven't we? The trapped in the house scene. Oh,
0: that's right. I was trying to remember what the second one was, and we did, yes, we did the house, but we did a, like, three... Three we compared yeah. yeah it's the
1: george powell one the tom cruise one and the god awful um <laughs> pen dragon one wasn't it
0: was it the pen dragon one or was it the bbc one from last season
1: oh no and it what no it was four but it definitely was oh, Pendragon four. oh okay because of course that's the one when he looks out the thing and he sees the cow being drained dry oh that's right yeah <laughs> thank you i i, I can see I why you blanked that out that. In memory. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but now we're we're back to uh we're back to the uh the good stuff today aren't we yes yes yeah and i think maybe this might be the last time we discuss war of the worlds uh, the george Powell know. one anyway so unless i yeah, can yeah. think of another aspect of it i think that we might be bidding adieu to it today hmm. all right yeah i mean we kind of did run through all the well all the martian things which are obviously the
0: special effects-heavy parts of this movie. So, yeah, I think you're
1: right. Yeah. I, th- I thought the only other thing that we can really talk about is the opening montage where you see the views of the different planets. You know, those oh, that is planets. good, yeah. And it is good, but that's going to be a very short <laughs> <laughs> right. episode. Maybe a little filler one somewhere. We might do that or something, all right? Okay. All right, so, okay, well, let's go. We're talking about the end, and I thought we would start from where we've got those brilliant shots of Gene Barry running down the abandoned streets of Los Angeles um which of course weren't Los Angeles that's actually <laughs> um oh no it was Los Angeles it was somewhere off the I know I only know it from Hill Street Blues but there's a district of Los Angeles called Hill Street that's what they oh uh, okay that's where they filmed it and uh yeah so you've got him running down the roads and that's also supplemented by all the studio lot footage isn't it of um yes him looking around so, but the, really, the the very first time we have special effects in in the end is when when we've got this wide shot of part of Los Angeles, and it's composed of a number of building elements, um, two war machines which are in the distance firing on the horizon, and this turquoisey sky because you know, I guess uh, night time is upon us. Um, and uh, I think by the time we've reached this part of the film, you know, I mean the beginning begins brilliantly the middle bit the bit with the martian in the house and everything Mm -hmm. a terrific stuff but i think from when the atom bomb goes off we we've seen it all now and i think we as an audience are kind of getting used to seeing the war machines now aren't we
0: yeah they don't quite have the gravitas that they have That i think the very first thing we talked about with george powell was the initial battle that is that's the 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 marquee moment for those war machines, that battlefield. I think there's three of them. And yeah, now, now it's fun to see them here. And I always love every scene that they're in because I just love the, every time they're around, you always get a lot of reds, a lot of blues and a lot of greens. And for some bizarre reason that, that really just, I find that really pleasing. And I always associate that with this movie. I'll actually see a, combination of red blue and green yeah. that's really really in your face and regardless of what that is i think of the war machines because that's always a color palette when we get when we see these on screen that's
1: very interesting you say that because it's there yeah in in all these scenes but of course those three colors are also the color of the martian eye as yes, well aren't they exactly you know? yeah yep. and, and you've said in in i think it was the very first time we did war of the worlds that uh, for you you know as well as the sound effects it is the color palette of this film yep. that is so memorable for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I wish the, and I've said this for years now, Halloween Horror Nights, it, that's the big Halloween event at Universal Studios here in Orlando, and Hollywood as well. And they do what they call, well, they are 3D houses, and they use chroma depth. Have you ever experienced chroma depth 3D? No. It's it's It uses the spectrum. So instead of having a red and blue lens on your, or polarized lenses on your, your, 3D glasses, it's this, it's this filter that makes reds look farther away than they are, nice. greens closer than they are, and blues are your line of sight. So that's how they get around doing the 3D without having projections and whatnot. I wish they would and Universal has a tie-in to Four of the Worlds. I really wish they would do an old George Powell 1953 based martian attack haunted house with this color palette because it's already
1: designed that that would be something wouldn't it yep you wouldn't leave you'd spend all Mm. day there wouldn't you
0: that that would be a problem yes yes yes, i'd be escorted (laughs) out at the end of each
1: night now you'd find somewhere to hide and you just (laughs) stay in there until it opens again the next morning yeah but uh, here i mean yes i mean we've seen a lot of them now so what you were just saying there, when they first, you know, come out of the, the crater, you know, it's a great suspenseful scene, and yeah, you've got the sound effects, you've got, you know, the the, the cobra rattle rattle yeah. sound effects and everything, but now, at this point in the film, we're kind of used to them, they're in long shots, so they don't have that much impact, because they're far away, the, we've still got the sound effects of the firing of their, you know, for want of a better term, photon torpedoes, you know, those, the wing things that fire, and we get the scratchy green, Blobs going across the uh, across the uh, landscape. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've got a nice ground level shot of them, and um, that always sells a, a miniature effect more. If it's an old trick which they they knew back in you know the silent era, if the camera is low down, you subliminally believe it more because if the camera is sort of like at your eye level, you would believe it more than if the camera was up looking down on the Martians moving down the street. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they always do that. They try to do that as much as possible. And um, so they're there and they're firing away, all right? Now, of course, this is George Powell's War of the Worlds rather than the book or any other version. And and the book and every other version, the Martians are here for food, aren't they? Right. Um, As well as somewhere else to live because Mars is a dying planet. They also want food. But not in George Powell's one. They just want to obliterate us. Don't yes. They? They, it's just extermination. So they're just blasting away. And they at this point, they only seem to be like aiming at water tanks and stuff like that on tops of buildings. Yeah, it's like
0: the easy targets. Everything that's, that's up in the air and open.
1: Yeah, there's no catching of humans or anything like this nope. that we get in all the other versions. It's just blast them. Yeah. Um, now, Clayton, old Jean Barry, Clayton Forrester, he has a run-in with some MPs who, who tell him he's got to get out of here. But, of course, he's after Sylvia, isn't he? He's looking for Sylvia. Mm-hmm. And that's at the moment where we see City Hall uh, being destroyed in close-up, this lovely close-up of City Hall. Um, I don't know that that's City Hall. The only reason I know this building is from War of the Worlds. Um, right, yeah. I, okay. I, I i don't know what it is either. it, it,
0: it It's funny. It looks
1: like... Here in
0: Florida, our oldest buildings are old um government and college buildings that have been rebuilt into other things. So I, I, I can I feel City Hall, but then I also think college. So I'm kind of torn between the two because that's what ends up buying the old government buildings around here are colleges.
1: Right. See, see, I mean that City Hall building. I mean it, it means nothing to me. I mean, right. you know, I. It, you see Earth versus the Flying Saucers and they knock over the Washington Monument. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the Washington Monument. You see it in lots of films. But I can't think of a time when I've actually seen this. Maybe I've seen it in, you know, Dragnet or something like that in some, you know, police-based L.A. uh, show. But I'm sure people living in Los Angeles when they watched this back in 53 would have gone, bloody hell, that's our city old hall blowing up. Right, Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So... He goes off. Clayton goes off, and he searches a church. And um, while he's searching that church, we've got quite a wide shot. It's a tabletop miniature of the city on fire. Um, and again, every time you're up and away, it loses its impact. I mean, that for all its faults, Steven Spielberg's you know War of the Worlds. Everything was filmed at ground level. I think there's one aerial shot of the of the tripods. I think it's near when you've got the the, the river crossing scene or something. There's one aerial shot of the tripods. Everything else is down at Tom Cruise's level, which is very low to the ground if we're talking Tom Cruise, <laughs> isn't it? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, he has a close call with two of the fighting machines. He, he comes running out the church, doesn't seem to see these fighting machines coming down the road towards him. <laughs> um, they're not co- composited too well. I mean, a lot of the times in this version of War of the Worlds, they look great because what you've got is you've got the large fighting machine model hanging on wires on a miniature set and everything's done in camera. But here at the end, for some of the scenes, you are yeah, you're having a composited, you know, um miniature fighting machine being put into the live action studio lot with Gene Barry. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't.
0: Yeah, this one is, it's actually, a lot, I don't know if I want to use the word disappointing, but compared to the other scene that we get of the War Machine attacks, its it almost seems like this was, uh, in some shots, now I'm looking at one now, I have it kind of playing just for reference, and not, right now, it looks fantastic. This is when hes at, they're actually shooting the church. But before that, the compositing is kind of, almost seems rushed compared to the detailed work they put into the battle attack.
1: Yeah. The, 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 the fighting machines are rather uh, blurry. They're not, yeah, in the focus exactly. Too well, yes. You know, yeah. so, so you can see it's an image that's been put on top. Um, he, he tries another church and he, that's when he finds a couple of his, um, uh, colleagues from the college, um, and moves on from that. We've got an awful lot of destruction now of buildings. Um, falling down and being blown up and everything um he tries one last church church and that's when he does find Sylvia um right. while the fighting machines are causing havoc outside um and then the fighting machine arrives outside blasts that stained glass window um they hug thinking that this is the end and they're all going to die and we cut back to outside uh, to the same spot um But now we see the fighter machine, and we've got a new noise now that we haven't heard these fighter machines (laughs) make before. And it sort of like tilts to one side, doesn't it? Uh, Yes. And and then crashes into a building. Now, a lot of what we've been seeing with the the, the miniature fighter machines is high-speed photography. Um, But I'm pretty darn sure where it actually hits the awning of that building and falls down. That doesn't look high-speed to me. That looks like it's just been dropped in place, don't you think? Right,
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I also as need to ask which which time that it hits the awning because it yes. does it twice. <laughs> you
1: spotted that video? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's no mistake in it really, but you know, back back in the 50s, you're just along for the ride, aren't yep. you? You're not you're, you're not thinking about what you're seeing really.
0: At least they went to the effort of flipping the footage.
1: They they've reversed it, haven't yes. they? Yes. yes. <laughs> so there's, yes, so
0: I mean they made an effort to to make it plausibly a different scene.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> all right, so all is quiet inside the church. They all thought they were going to die, but then everyone realizes that things have stopped outside, and uh, they go outside, and we've got this composite shot of the crowd in the foreground with that crashed fighting machine behind them. Um, th- the hatch underneath opens, and this arm comes out. And I've always loved this. I can remember watching this when I was little. The eerie music you know as that hatch opens and the arm comes down you know and slowly the sucker fingers pull the arm forward um as clayton approaches it and mm. we get this beautiful close up of the arm and you can see the the veins are pulsing in the arm yes yeah um and uh, the crowd approach and they get startled by a noise off to the side and they all look that way and that's the one you're talking about we see the fight machine crash again yeah <laughs> but a reverse shot yeah um I love the way you know that we now have two fighting machines down on the ground. We have an arm inching its way forward, and I love Clayton's line of "something's happening to them." It's like no shit, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as I say, I I remember this uh, this ending because it's so well done. Because the music has now changed. We've we've stopped this eerie music, and it's almost like a a heartbeat uh bit of percussion uh, uh, oh yeah yeah
0: actually I I, I I wasn't thinking that term but you described it perfectly it is what that is You're it's right
1: exactly they've synchronized everything because you know the, the the music stops just as the arm stops pulsing and that's when the the pulsing red light that's up inside the ship turns to a steady green um, right and he says, doesn't he? Clayton says it's dead, and he looks up inside, and I love the fact that we don't get a shot of what's in there,
0: right, <laughs> because
1: I can remember watching this when I was little and thinking, "What's up there? You know, what's inside this fighter machine? you know yeah, and what does it look like, dead? um Bells start ringing, and uh, and we've got the end voiceover a, a, yep. a variation of the book. Um and uh, composited shots, again, not done too well, of stricken fighting machines across the world by a landmark. So you've got the Taj Mahal with a hole in it. You've got the fire, uh, uh, Eiffel Tower melted in half, haven't you?
0: Yeah. This one's a, this this is a little uh, frustrating, too, in a sense. And I'm talking about it from an analytical standpoint. I mean, I love the movie, so let's just make sure I put that disclaimer out there. And what's frustrating is that some shots are not... Bad, and some are quite bad. And it's the difference between the shots that kind of gets to me.
1: Yes. Yeah, it, it's variable, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and that's how the end uh, film ends. I mean, we have a bit of um, um, choral music as everyone's uh, thanking God, and that's how it ends. <laughs> to this
0: day, when I see that last shot of everyone standing on the hill, I think of the old Coca-Cola
1: commercial where they – with all the hippies start mm. singing, I'd like to teach the world to sing. <laughs> that's the one. Yep. yep. <laughs> I hadn't made that connection, but you're absolutely right, aren't you? I'll, I'll try and find that on YouTube and, and paste it on the Facebook page. Yeah, and that's our little sequence over. Um, um, but I've got quite a bit of information on behind the scenes for you today. All okay, right. Cool. So, um, right, I'll start with that. That the actual deserted Los Angeles footage was done early on a Sunday morning, just after Christmas, all right? Oh, wow. Um, and they they actually started at 11, uh, 11 o'clock the night before. That's when the area was cordoned off by the local police, and they were allowed to go in there and d- just dress the streets with all the debris and, you know, all the newspapers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, now, the filming of the miniatures took place on the same soundstage, soundstage 18, that the sets had been on. So all those, all the live-action sets, you know, where you've got, you know, the army dug in because the the Martians are coming out of the crater, you know, the ruined farmhouse scenes, they were all on Studio 18. So once they had done all the live-action filming, everything was bulldozed, literally bulldozed out of uh, yeah, yeah exactly we got to have a time machine and go back I and know. just <laughs> pick bits and pieces out yes yes and uh, yeah i mean this miniature set that they used of um of los angeles was built on a raised platform so the cameras could get down low the buildings themselves uh, varied in height some of them were about four or five feet but some of them were like six feet tall and they're beautiful. If you look at photos, they 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 really went to town on the miniature work for this. Yeah, all right. yeah. That's... Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh no 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 no
0: no was I just say I mean they they look at it. repeated viewings. You start getting the idea of what's miniature, what's superimposed, what's or matted in. But at first glance, it's like yeah, they they. I mean they they are they put the details that are in. I don't know how. Well, they match the exact building, but they put enough detail into it to absolutely look like a building in the middle of a city. There's no mistaking
1: that. Yeah. Indeed. I mean, apparently they did take photographs of the real streets and they recreated mm. them. So if you lived in that area and you went to see War of the Worlds, you'd see your own neighborhood being blown up. Oh, away, wow. <laughs> you know? And there's a really good photo that I'll put on Facebook of, um, you know, a man standing in amongst these buildings. And if you put your finger over the man, you would swear that's just a regular photo of the real street. You know, it's only, oh, wow. the, ma- yeah, it's only the man that actually gives the game away. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And as I say, I mean, the, the trick to be convincing when you're doing miniature streets and that is have the camera at eye level because then you're, you, you're fooled more, you know. But the problem was that the camera, to get the camera down low to what would have been eye level, um, the, they, the cameras they were using were much bigger than normal because they were filming in three strip Technicolor. All right. Oh, okay. And that they, they are much, much bigger cameras, and they couldn't physically get the camera lens down to that level. They couldn't dig a hole or make a hole in, <laughs> in in the raised platform because the camera had to move around. So you can't do it that way. Okay. Oh, right. Right. So, so what they had actually had had to come up with was because they tried it and they put it, but all the footage they were getting, it was as if the camera or the person was say 10 feet tall it was too high above the ground right so the way they got around it was they placed the camera where they wanted it to go and they came up basically with a periscope system um they attached a mirror to the camera lens which then pointed down to another mirror which was close to the ground uh, okay yeah and that's how they that. did it yes yep. now because when you're filming miniatures you have to have the aperture of the camera very very small okay to be convincing um, that means you need an awful lot of light as well. So they had these massive, huge, you know, 2K, 4K, you know, arc lamps, carbon arc lamps going. And because you had that huge amount of light, and also the fact that they were filming in high speed, that helped eliminate any wobbles there were to the fighting machines as they came down the street. And it also ha- helped to bleach out some of the wires as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, That'd a lot be- of people have said, you know, oh, I'll watch it on, on Blu-ray, I'll watch it on DVD, um, and uh, you can see the wires. But apparently you couldn't see the wires. They, they were hardly not visible because the contrasts are different when you watch a film, you know, on your television to a cinema thing. The blacks aren't proper black, you know, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera. And apparently, no, back in 53, you could barely see the wires really hmm.
0: is it just because the the technology it was used to project
1: it at the time it's something to do with contrast ratios are different if you show a film you know in a theater compo- yeah. uh, um, compared to watching it on thing it's something oh, to do st- with I, sorry I, no okay I, I yeah i think i kind of know what you're talking about we had
0: this discussion oh man this is going back in projection days a long time ago when uh the first michael keaton batman came out we were talking about the difference between being able to see the all the details of goth gotham and home video as opposed to in the theater and that's because the the idea that was posed was that the light was moving away towards you from mm. you yes. in the theater where at tv it was going at you so the
1: details would be more recognizable yeah plus you've also got the fact that you know um a film, you might have a pristine print that you're showing, but if your lenses aren't very good... Oh, yeah. And I I've know I've, I've shown uh, films in uh, cinemas where the, the <laughs> yeah. lenses were crap. <laughs> they were yeah. really bad. So you yeah. get a soft focus more than you should do and all this sort of stuff, you know? And I know our one
0: theater is notorious for... It's just the way the theater was built. We just either had... We didn't, we didn't have... I take it back. I was going to say we either had two dim or too bright a bulb we never went with too bright because that was actually worse than too dim a bulb but i'd say half of our houses were the the bulb was just not bright enough to be to show the mm. full way it should have and then the next step up that we had available was way too much so, right yeah gotcha. that's that's probably a bit of it too
1: mm. um it says here that the city hall destruction that that city hall model was eight feet tall that they blew up. oh out. wow yeah um I never knew this, but there, there's a rumor that George Powell actually wanted the final third of the movie in 3D. It's funny you should just <laughs> mention 3D. Yeah. Well, you know what? If he actually shot this for 3D, it
0: explains a lot of the what would be the uh, more obvious work than the other stuff because he was possibly shooting it or editing it for two It could cameras? I don't... There's yeah. certainly
1: shots that would work in 3D. Yes, yes, there, you know? yeah. But but apparently it would only be the final third. It would be after the atom bomb went off that the rest of the film would be in 3D. Yeah, okay. But... Can you imagine, you know, at the beginning, you know, the opening of the cylinder where you have the cobra head come round and it's actually oh, the camera yeah. and, and move round? And w- I tell you what, that's something I didn't think before. When it first opens fire and you've got the three guys with the flags and they're in yep. the foreground and the cobra ray is behind yep. them and it comes yeah. into the camera. I wonder if that was designed for a 3D shot.
0: Uh, it's now that that idea is there, it's... it's uh... Yeah, it's a definite argument that that could be a possibility because,
1: yeah, now having that in mind, it's a new perspective on some of these shots. Yeah, 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 yeah. Charlie Gamora, um, the guy who, um, you know, sculpted and made the Martian and operated the Martian in the farmhouse scene, he is what you would have seen if you had looked up into that hatch. When Mm -hmm. Gene Barry (laughs) looks up into the hatch, you you would have seen two people. There would have been Charlie there operating the arm, and his daughter, who was a teenager at the time, she was alongside him. She was blowing into the tubes to make ah. the arm the arm veins pulse. Yeah, that was her. Yeah. Um, now, the sound of the uh, um, fight machine, when it starts tilting and we hear this new noise that it's uh, never made before, that sound is nothing more than a, a, a hoover being turned off. that's all it is
0: i love i love learning stuff about that when
1: you find out it sounds that you've heard but when you hear them out of context you have no idea what they are Mm. i love that Mm. and uh the next thing is talking about sounds there are two sound effects in this film which went on to uh inspire star trek all right oh okay so the sound of the uh, the hovering, just the background noise of the fighter machine, that was created with a tape machine called an Echoplex, right? And that was made by taking a recorded sound that is picked up by the playback head and recording it again with the record head. The added natural sound of tape hiss, along with a slight moving of the playback head to create a change in pitch, multiplied the sound over and over, at which time they could turn off the record head and have a continuous loop of sound from which to draw. This same technique was later used for the sound of a hand phaser. Oh, wow, okay. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the, the wing weapons of the fighter machine. You know that uh, the, well, I'm not going to try and impersonate it, but you know the noise it makes. That was I knew, yeah, yeah. That was made by hitting an empty oil storage tank, right? Okay. So you record the dong of that, but yeah, you, but when you play it back, you play it back, but all but the first few milliseconds. So you're actually yeah. you're playing back a recording except the very beginning. So you're when you hear it, so you're you get... in that echo already.
0: Yeah, it's like just the reverb of it, not the strike.
1: Yeah. And that was also the method used to create the sound of a photon torpedo in Star Trek.
0: That, that, I, can, that
1: I can completely hear. It, it, there was a familiarity to it, and that's what it was. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. And I, I, I was thinking about that when I watched, you know, the scene, and it's it's bloody hell, they're photon torpedoes being fired. You close your eyes, they are definitely <laughs> photon torpedoes. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this last final fact um, when we did either of the other two, but none of the original fighting machines exist today um
0: yeah yeah that is very
1: disappointing <laughs> yes i mean they were they were made out of copper and uh, after production they were donated to a boy scout's copper drive yep, yep. <laughs> Do Yep. you uh, think they would have kept one i know you? i know the fact this film is now it's like in the library of co- uh, congress isn't it as you know an outstanding you know piece of filmmaking and a and a superb example of you know filmmaking for its time etc 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 but they don't actually own a martian uh, war machine <laughs> it's a shame isn't it yeah it is all right so that's it that's us just about done we've just got to give a, a rating now matt out of 10 okay
0: this is tough because i hate to give it anything low because it's the war machines and are iconic and it's, it's one of the, uh, I would say, four things you think of when you think of the lineage of War of the Worlds. But it is the worst appearance of them. Mm. But with it, but I do, I mean, the, the I love the sound. I love the color. I, lo- I still love the design. So, but I got to take away, I think I gave a nine and an eight to the other one. So I got to take away for the kind of, this is the the least striking appearance we had the matte mat line. So I'm going to just go down one step. So I can still keep it high and go with a seven on this scene.
1: If we were doing a zoom thing, I'd hold my piece of paper up to the camera. That's exactly what I've got. <laughs> nice. I've got exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. For all the reasons you've just stated, yeah, I think that's fair, don't you? Hmm. Right. Yep.
0: It's still yeah. It's it's. There's the defense that it's the Martians, but there's also the argument that it's the it's the least striking appearance of the Martians. Okay.
1: All right. Okay. Well, thanks for your time, Matt. Uh, Absolutely. Always. I always enjoy
0: these conversations.
1: Yes. Yeah. Ditto. Absolutely. Ditto. Um, Next time you've got to think about another subject because we're running out of War of the Worlds, aren't we? So we have to think of something else. All right. Okay. All right. Well, thanks then, Matt. Thank you. Right. Cheers then. Bye-bye. Bye.